Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about postbiotics. I thought we already did that. I just wanted to use that word again. Oh, but we really are talking about postbiotics. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah, we are. Okay. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. It's difficult. It's just difficult sometimes. I know. You have a hard time Speaking. with words. Listen, happens to no one. Take 47. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How goes it, Patty Devers? It's going really well, thank you. Welcome to the Lab Report. Welcome, young and old, all. In between. To the Lab Report, the podcast that is the Genova podcast that is all things functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics. Yeah, and if you're new and the like to this podcast and you like what you hear, you can download, subscribe, rate, review. Do those things. All of those things. That would be helpful for us here yeah. at the Lab Report. Totally would. Sort of demonstrate that we, uh, we're doing a decent job. But someone's out there listening. We're not just sitting in a room talking to each other. Shout out to my mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. And mine. And my sister, Barb. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about postbiotics. What mm-hmm. is that? Wait a minute. I think we've used that word before, but it's... We did, in fact. It's not quite common yet. Yeah, it's not. But we're going to ring the bell. But that being said, I think we, we started a whole podcast episode on postbiotics. So if you go back... You'll remember we did, right? Yes. It's something like short-chain fatty acids in Oliver. Right. Yeah. And we talked about some of the things that bugs make in your GI tract. Which is what a postbiotic is. Correct. We got there. And what what are some of the ones that we're talking about specifically that we've already covered? Maybe just a quick recap. Okay. I think last time we talked about putrefactive short-chain fatty acids. Or products of protein breakdown. Right. Because it's actually protein that makes its way in the all the way down to the colon instead of getting reabsorbed and the bacteria ferment the, the protein to make short-chain fatty acids, putrefactive short-chain fatty acids. We also talked about beneficial short-chain fatty acids from fiber. Yeah, things like N-butyrate, acetate, propionate, and particularly N-butyrate, which we think of as being one of the most important short-chain fatty acids, which is helpful as a fuel source for colonocytes, your colon cells, which helps to maintain barrier function, which feeds other commensal bacteria. That's a whole host of things in locally in the GI tract and systemically as well. So if you want to review all the amazing information we gave you on those things, you can go back and listen to that podcast episode. But I'm sure you've all listened to it several times already, and it's already in your brains. But that being said, (laughs) what was after that? I'm sure, too. Where were we supposed to go after that, Michael? What did we forget? We forgot beta-glucuronidase. How could we forget beta-glucuronidase? Well, we didn't forget it. We were actually just kind of interrupted. That's true. But In a good way. We're bringing it back, right? We're talking about beta-glucuronidase today. Good. And maybe some of the other postbiotics that we can think about, not just on uh, GI testing, but even on nutritional nutritional testing. That's right. Things that we call like gut metabolomics. Ooh, fancy word. (laughs) So let's talk first about beta-glucuronidase because if I have to say what is one of my favorite biomarkers Uh on the GI effects dual test, it's got to be beta-glucuronidase. It's just such such an interesting little biomarker, I think. 
I think you've just alienated all the other biomarkers by saying that. Well, sometimes you just got to be honest, you know. I hear it. I hear it. And it's a great biomarker. It's it, it, What's interesting about it is it does things and affects things people don't even think about. Right. But first, it's an enzyme. And how do I know it's an enzyme, Michael? Because it ends in A-S-E. Correct. And it's induced by some of the bacteria. Yeah. What does that mean? Gut. So. Induced. They make it. Yeah. I know. It's a fancy word. So the gut bacteria essentially activate, produce, activate right. that particular enzyme. Yep. And that in large quantities, this is sort of the, the large takeaway, the big takeaway, is that high production of beta-glucuronidase in the gut allows for the recirculation of fat-soluble hormones and fat-soluble toxins. That's kind of the, the biggest problem that we run into and look out for when we're using it as a biomarker on a GI test. Wait a minute. What in the world? Yeah. I, I think if we just... Let me just start with a quick overview of what the phase one and phase two detoxification is so that in context, you'll understand what beta-glucuronidase does. Essentially what Oliver said. What are you on about? (laughs) Right. Well, if you think about it, if you have like a fat-soluble hormone or a toxin, right, in order for it to be processed and excreted safely, there are a couple of things that have to happen. Right. First of all, it goes to phase one. Detox phase one, phase two, you might be familiar with these terms, the entire detoxification process. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And detoxification can, phase one detoxification occurs primarily in the liver. Although there's some good information out there that some phase one detoxification enzymes are located in the gut wall Mm -hmm. as well, which I think is really interesting and compelling and plays plays really well into this conversation that we're having about the import of detoxific of the GI tract as a detoxification organ, right? Right. So, yeah, so what what happens there in the liver or what Michael's saying in sometimes the intestinal epithelial cells is that that fat soluble molecule gets hydroxylated with C cytochrome P450 enzymes. Yeah. And there's lots of different cytochrome P450s, which are responsible for different type of compounds, mm. right? And so it can, there's like the 3A4, 1B1, 1A1, there's a whole bunch of 2D6. And right. depending on the particular molecule that is being detoxified, it's going to go down one of these different cytochrome P450 pathways. And once it this compound is hydroxylated, it turns into this intermediate which is actually, on average, more reactive. Right. Than so you're the not out of the compound. woods. Yeah. Right. So that's phase one isn't the end of the story because it's still an activated intermediate. Yeah, and you can run into a lot of problems because if phase two is not working appropriately, then it can lead to a buildup Oof. of all these intermediates, all these activated intermediates, which can essentially cause a lot of free radical damage, which is not what you want from a detoxification standpoint, right? right. Sort of, again, right. it's the opposite of what you want from a detoxification standpoint. So you kind of have to go through this tricky step of phase one and then ensure that you're supporting phase two to make sure that these active intermediates are being excreted. And that's the purpose of... Phase two. And the purpose of phase two, like Michael said, is to get things water-soluble so it can be safely excreted. And there's a lot of different ways you can undergo phase two. Right. Like... Glucuronidation. Right. Acetylation. Methylation. Sulfation. Right. So there's a lot of different ways you can push some activated intermediate through phase two to become water soluble to be excreted. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what that, what those fancy words are saying is Mm -hmm. that there's some form of a molecule that's attached 
to the activated intermediate that makes it water soluble and ready for excretion. Whether it's a methyl group, whether it's a sulfur compound, or in this particular case, whether it's a glucuronide molecule, which is what why it's called glucuronidation. It's there's a glucuronide molecule that's attached to the, either the hormone or the toxin on during phase two detoxification, and that allows it to be easily excreted. So then the liver essentially, or the intestine in this case, deposits it into the lumen so it can be effectively removed from the body. But then comes... Boom. Glucuronidation gets reversed with beta-glucuronidase. The biomarker, right. The biomarker that we're looking at on the GIFX stool test is what it does is it detaches that glucuronide molecule. So thereby essentially inactivates what had just taken place in phase two detoxification. Undoes the liver's good work right That's there. right. Yeah, exactly. And so now that hormone or hormone intermediate or toxin intermediate is allowed to be recirculated mm. and has to be has to go through phase two detoxification all over again. Right. And you know, can cause problems locally, systemically, and is associated with increased hormone-mediated cancer risk at high levels and is increased with increased colorectal cancer risk at high levels of that beta-glucuronidase biomarker. And why we think this is a super interesting biomarker, and I said earlier that it does things that people don't think about. So when we're in educational appointments with clinicians, right, Michael, and they have patients who are on bioidentical hormones or they're having a hard time balancing someone's hormones, we'll often recommend them order a GI effects stool profile so that we can see what's going on with that beta glucuronidase. Yeah, exactly. Because it begs the question, is this person having sluggish detoxification? And, you know, can that lead to clinically things like estrogen dominance or increased overall body burden of particular toxins that would eat, that would have been excreted through this particular pathway? So right. that's, that's something to, to keep in mind. And we look at Essentially, really high levels is when we become more concerned to levels like 13,000 to give a number. Right. You know, that that is where you're reaching the threshold where you're quite concerned. And so what do you do, I guess, from a treatment standpoint, a therapeutic intervention standpoint to help address elevated beta-glucuronidase levels? Well, I think to begin, because we know that it comes from the bacteria, right? Yeah. We should probably look at dysbiosis patterns and make sure that we're in balance as far as commensals. Are I see what you did there. You're sort of taking this functional medicine approach where you're, <laughs> you're asking the question, well, what's the root cause of an Look elevated at me going there. beta-glucuronidase, um, which I sorry think about that. was very well done there. That was Thank you. Smart. I was just going to start throwing things at it. More supplements. No, <laughs> no. Cause really you want it, you know, it, that's kind of why we're even measuring these. We want to know what's the commensal balance, right? So some of the dysbiosis patterns and scores on the GIFX can help guide you in ways to get things back in balance. Right, because as we said, it's beta. Uh, the beta-glucuronidase is induced, produced by certain commensal bacteria mm. or you know even dysbiotic bacteria. I mean, some of the bacteria that I think about are E. coli, mm-hmm. or certain Clostridia species, certain Bacteroidetes species, and a lot of those have a little bit of a you know, correlative, not causative, but correlative association with increased inflammation and 
increased sort of standard American diet as compared to maybe some of our more healthier, like Mediterranean type diets. And so that's a question that I, I first and foremost ask, what is the diet of this particular mm. patient? Because sometimes that can give me some clues into the causative factor, the dysbiosis that is then contributing to beta-glucuronidase production, if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. I hope that makes sense to people. <laughs> I mean... Well, I guess we'll find we, out. We, we sit... <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, email us. <laughs> Podcast at gdx.net. And we'll talk about it some more. That's right. Happily. Mm, now, right. with that being said... Okay. What about somebody who has low beta-glucuronidase? Mm, well, you know, beta-glucuronidase, when it's really, really high, we get worried. You know, it's not as worrisome on the low end, but we do need some because what it also can do is it can recirculate important things that we were about to lose as it passes through the stool. Things like some fat-soluble vitamins or phytonutrients, for example. Right. All things in moderation because, you know, what we see is that with a particular healthy cohort and with what we see with sort of a healthy cohort of commensal bacterial patterns, that there is some beta-glucuronidase production, right? It's not all bad. And there likely is a physiologic role for beta-glucuronidase naturally in the GI tract. After all, it's made by commensal bacteria, mm. not necessarily pathogenic bacteria. So there likely is, is some role that it's playing down there. And to your point, there's probably things that it is recirculating to a certain extent. And and even maybe estrogens and, and testosterone, fat-soluble hormones, it's, it's, you know, it does allow for recirculation of those to a certain extent and, mm -hmm. and maybe helps to maintain a particular level of it. But like you said, also vitamin D, thyroid hormone, mm -hmm. those, those things are important to recirculate as well. So I tend to think of it as like a, a little bit of the, like a Goldilocks and the Three Bears situation, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just kind of right in the middle there. We're talking about porridge now? Yeah, oh. pretty much. Well, I think the point you're trying to get across is some is good, too much can be bad when it comes to beta gluc. Like porridge. <laughs> right. But then we've already just talked about, so if you see swings high or low, we know to always go to the commensal bacteria, check that balance, because you always want to go to the root cause, to Michael's point, where... What's the balance? Because that's what's making the beta-glucuronidase. But Michael talked about when it was really high, how it becomes kind of a colorectal and hormonally mediated cancer risk. So there are things we can do to help out while you're fixing the microbiome balance that do happen to be supplements. Yeah. Like what? Things we can do in the meantime, right? And yeah. that's where our nutritional interventions really mm. shine, Yeah. right? Because, you know, some of these things, diet, lifestyle therapies could maybe take a little bit longer. And with a biomarker yeah. like this, you want to get on it real quick. You don't want to let, you don't want to let the sun set on this one. <laughs> and so <laughs> you could use a supplement called calcium D-glucurate. Wow. Calcium D-glucurate. Wait, before you go any further, uh -huh. I have a good idea. What's that? Why don't we bring back a, a segment that we haven't done in a while? Yeah. What does it do? Right. Calcium deglucurate. What does it do, Michael? Calcium deglucurate. Yeah. Should we say it one more time? Calcium deglucurate. Is a supplement uh -huh. that you can use. And what it does is it does a couple things, actually. Mm -hmm. It helps support phase two 
glucuronidation, that particular detoxification pathway that was just undone by beta-glucuronidase. So that's one thing that it does. The other thing that it does is it actually inhibits the beta-glucuronidase molecule from doing that thing that it does, which is recirculate fat-soluble hormones and fat-soluble toxins. Well, what's the thing it doesn't do? Good question. (laughs) Set you up for that one. Yeah. So the thing it doesn't do is lower beta-glucuronidase. So if you have a patient result from a GI-FX stool test and the beta-glucuronidase is high and you're like, I want to do something right now. I want to get a supplement on board. What's the supplement? I'm going to use calcium deglucurate. Right. It will not lower beta-glucuronidase. Because you you still got to go back and balance the microbiome. Right, right. It just inhibits beta-glucuronidase from recirculating fat-soluble hormones, fat-soluble toxins, which is important because Mm. it will help with the excretion of those things at the end of the day. So it's, you know, when it comes to the risks around hormone-mediated cancer risk, colon cancer risk that's associated with high beta-glucuronidase, it could theoretically help with that, not only from the standpoint of inhibiting the recirculation of hormones, but also in assisting in phase two detoxification. Thank you, Michael. Now Mm. we know what it does. That's what does it do. Yeah. Okay, so now that we know what calcium deglucurate does, Mm -hmm. what do some other things do? What are some other things that might assist with this issue, with a high recirculation, high beta-glucuronidase, what do you do? Well, you, you talked a little bit about some of the dietary influences, like fiber. Yeah. And, you know, in essence, it really is part of balancing the microbiome. So we're not going to go that way. But some people, when beta-gluc is high, also give milk thistle, which is a very naturopathic thing to give. <laughs> what? <laughs> You say that like (laughs) some strange thing. (laughs) No, and I think of milk thistle as like liver support. So what happens there, Michael? Yeah, it's exactly that. Milk thistle has a ton of literature around hepatotoxicity, hepatorestoration. There's there's some really interesting articles on on how milk thistle is used as an adjuvant for a lot of different things. That was a big word. Did I say it right? You did. (laughs) Okay. Um... It felt strange. Well, you have that strange face whenever you're going to say a word and you're not sure of it. And I think that's just what makes me look at you like a dog hearing a whistle. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. So it's, it's very, very useful in assisting with phase two detoxification, phase one and phase two detoxification and just assisting the liver. So that's usually what it said because what you're doing is you're, you're putting more of a burden on the liver if you're making it mm. detoxify things multiple times. We don't want to burden the liver. No. And you know, Milk thistle isn't going to lower the number either. It's just going to help support. Correct. Yeah. Yep. We talked a lot about beta-gluc today. Yeah. And we got a segment in that we hadn't gotten in for a while. Did you miss it? I missed it. I missed the song, yeah. Yeah. And and it it makes me think that there's like, there's another thing that I've been missing too. Like what? Oh, come on. You could not have missed this. Question of the day. It's the question of the day. You know what you know you know what's coming to mind? That female vocalist is does a really good job. You know what's coming to mind there? What's that? We need to set up more interview shows to avoid hearing these jingles. Mm, interesting. Okay. Here's a question. Go ahead. This is gonna be a layup. Ugh, go ahead, Michael. If you see high beta glucuronidase uh-huh. and 
high short chain fatty acids. Ooh. What are you thinking of clinically? Wow. So I know that all of these things are made by a bacteria. Yes. And by fiber. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if they're both high, maybe there's a lot of bacteria. Could there be an overgrowth? Could this be a pattern you might see in some type of overgrowth like SIBO? Right. You would also then maybe look at the protein products too, because they're also made by bacteria. Okay. Similar question. Okay. Flip it. What if they're both low? Mm, I'm thinking what's going on in the microbiome, right? Like is the microbiome wiped out or is the person not eating enough fiber? Right. So you would look at the total commensal abundance. Right. And that could give you an indication as to whether there was suspicion around a microbiome deficiency, low mm-hmm. levels of commensal bacteria overall. Right. And if that's maybe not necessarily the case, or even if it is the case, the second question is, is this person getting what adequate are you eating? prebiotics or, right. or fiber? Right. Yeah. Good one. Well done. Was it? I'll give you a ding. Thanks, Dad. All right. It's time for a disclaimer. Oh, yep. We have to disclaim. Excellent. Yeah. The contents of this podcast are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis, advice, treatment. Please consult a clinician if you are looking for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Can I call you? No. Next time on The Lab Report, postbiotics number three. Wait, now it's a trilogy? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Well, we did it. What? We got Porridge into an episode. <laughs> was, that a, was that a life goal, Michael? It was part of the strategy mm. uh, from, the, from the beginning. Well, I wanted to get the word Porridge into well, hey, the podcast. Well done, sir. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>